This is Everyday Driver, where we know cars are expensive and necessary and have to do a world of things. But we also believe they should be fun. Whatever you need and can't afford, we're here to help you find the right car. We're your car friends, your car therapists, and sometimes the bad influence you need. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy Tuesday. We hope you had a good weekend. And many of you said you finally got around to watching our South Dakota film this past weekend. Yes. Thank you so much, guys. We put a lot of work into that, a lot of heart and soul. And you guys have said that it's one of the best ever. And we are very appreciative. We yeah, always try to yeah. put our best into everything we do. Absolutely. But yeah. That was just fun. And you could tell we we're just having a great time. And we were pretty snarky. And <laughs> yeah, we were kind of off the wall in some places. But we really appreciate. And if you like it enough to recommend it to people that might not be that into cars, that's fine too, because it's about getting out and discovering new things and cars are just the thing to get us there. So if you think they'd enjoy it, please pass along, please recommend it and really appreciate your views. We are diving right into our topic Tuesday. A question from Tom D who wrote to us about the next every man's enthusiast brand. Mm -hmm. Tom writes that back in 2015 and 2016, we gave a lot of praise to Ford for having something for every enthusiast in their lineup Mm -hmm. from the lowly Fiesta ST, which wasn't lowly focus ST focus RS up to the Mustangs, the EcoBoost and the GT 350. And then going even higher to the Ford GT, which MSRP was almost half a million dollars. Yeah. But Tom is talking about attainable cars. He writes that in recent years, we've had a lot of the same praise for Toyota. Yes, Mm -hmm. for offering a variety of attainable sports cars in their GR lineup. While Ford has since discontinued their enthusiast offerings besides the Mustang in order to focus on trucks and SUVs. Yep. Here's Tom's thought. Hypothetically, in five years, let's say Toyota reverts to their old ways and abandons all enthusiast offerings in their lineup in favor of people movers, although I don't think that's likely because they have found a lot of new customers, in my opinion, from this switch. I really, really hope they stay with it. I I am concerned they won't, but I hope that they will. But onward, yes. Tom writes, which of the affordable automakers do we think would be the next to take up the torch and offer a full range of sports cars, complete with different engines, drivetrains, chassis, etc., at reasonable price points to meet the needs of different enthusiasts. Hmm. He prognosticates, and I think that's what he's asking us to do as well, could Hyundai expand their end division to include rear-wheel drive and all-wheel drive offerings? Tom would love to see Nissan bring back a new SX and drop a turbo Sentra. What if Nissan, Tom, that's an interesting idea. What if Nissan turned the Sentra into a GR Corolla equivalent? Wow, that would change the perception of that car. <laughs> Sentra? But, but, but the Corolla is in that place, too, where the Corolla starts as a storied name, and then it yeah. becomes a joke, and now it's been redeemed. The Sentra, remember the Sentra R? That was a hot little you know, car. I mean, the, the, that the, made, there have been Sentras yeah, that, that have been interesting, heads. believe it or not. Mm. Wouldn't that be, that? I like your idea there. Let's redeem it like the Corolla. <laughs> oh. Could that happen? I don't know. Tom says that the Z and the GTR needs some uh, some complimentary cars in the low end with lightweight and affordable options. What are our ideas? Yeah, I like that Sentra option, but I'm wondering if Nissan is still just hurting. It just seems like yeah. even with the launch of the Nismo Z, that should be more fanfare than it got, and it should be talked about more frequently than all of us enthusiasts are mm. because it kind of came and went in about a week. Maybe less, and I feel like we're not we're still not seeing any of them, which is even crazy. We're not I mean, seeing, yeah, regular we've, Z's. We've no. mentioned it, and you out there have said, "Oh yeah, I saw like one 
Mm-hmm. You know, people are not seeing them in general, which th- means they're not selling that well, which is too bad. I also think that car is being further hurt by markups. I think all cars that are interesting are being hurt by markups, but I think the Z, if the Z had come out and had been universally praised as everyone must have one, people would have bought one in spite of the markup. The Mm -hmm. Z came out and everybody went, yeah, pretty cool. And I think they're not selling for markups, which means they're not selling. So I'm very curious to see what the long-term reality of that car is. And the Nismo is still to come and is going to be priced between 60 and 70 grand. And that's before markups because you know they're going to mark up the Nismo. So the Z is in a weird spot. Plus, this is Nissan's latest, because they've done this their whole lineup, taking the tech from the prior gen and making a new gen and trying to make it even better. And in many cases, that's worked. The Frontier is one that we really love the upgrade there. But I don't think that was as successful with the Z. The problem is, go to Ford with the Mustang. You have to have a cash cow, which Ford has in the F-150, to turn Mm -hmm. around and make Mm -hmm. a sports car with a blank sheet thinking that's going to be great Make your new version of your iconic sports car because that project initially is going to lose you money. So Ford can do it because the the Mustang's so iconic and the F-150 prints cash. Nissan doesn't have a prints cash vehicle, but they have the iconic Z that they should make a fully new one of. And then, by the way, have we all thought about how old the GTR is? Old. They keep cranking that out because there's no development money to make a new GTR. So mm-hmm. Nissan's in a weird spot. I'd love to see them rekindle, but I don't know how likely that is. Tom, my question is about Hyundai. You brought up their N division. Their cars that are N cars are also regular non-fire breathing mm-hmm. cars, mm-hmm. right? The Elantras and the Velosters. And Absolutely. Yeah. They have the, Even the Kona. The Kona. Yeah. They have the, the range of cars and then the N brand, which does mm-hmm. crazy things to them. And those are their performance cars. Yeah, yeah. Same thing here with Nissan. They have regular Z cars. And then under the Nismo brand, those sure. are the quote unquote hot ones. I can't put my finger quite on why it's working for Hyundai and not working for Nissan. Because then there's Toyota. There is no regular Supra. It is only Gazoo Racing. It's true. Only true, GR. True, yeah. There is no just regular hot Corolla. It's only GR. That's mm. it. There's no just 86 anymore because Cyan went away. Let's take that away. Sure, sure. It's a GR86 now. So yeah. all three of those cars are under the hot brand. They do not come as a hot car with regular flavor. Sure. Well, and also on the other side of the equation, to your point, the 86 and the Supra just exist to be those cars. They don't mm-hmm. have, there's not no cross platform. There's not, we used this elsewhere in the, none of that is going on there. But I also think back to what I mentioned earlier, Toyota does have cash cow vehicles and we have never been told the numbers, but Toyota has given us the impression. I mean, let's be honest, the 86 is on its second gen, which all of us are shocked by. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Their expectations for both those cars were pretty low for sales numbers. So they put a lot of money, which is why they had production partners too. They put a lot of money into having them made. And they're, and if you want to go like the grand scheme of how many cars were sold, not a ton of either of those, but Toyota was okay because their expectations were low enough. That You've got yeah. to have that rubber band capability there in your cash flow to make a true sports car. I'm wrong about the Corolla. The Corolla is the regular flavor, and then it does exist as the hot one. But that's the only one. Otherwise, the GR86 but, and the Supra are just kind of standalone hot. This is it. Yes, but the Corolla isn't, to, to your point, though, the Corolla is a front-wheel drive, built differently animal. Then yeah. they take the chassis yeah. and they make it better, which is kind of the end thinking. But to to what you said before, though, Hyundai has an in everything. The i20, which we don't get here. The yes. i30, we don't get here. The Kona. Everybody's got an in. 
But back to what you're saying, unlike the 86 or the Supra, Hyundai doesn't have a here's our sports car rear-wheel drive full stop. Will they do that? They've teased it. They've Mm -hmm. teased a mid-engine car, which would be fascinating. But I really wonder, can Hyundai do that? Will they? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also, why do they keep doing these little show-off mid-engine sports car concepts if they have zero plans to do so? Toying with it—that's toying with it is one thing. Yeah, I suppose toying with it is one thing. But would you, if you have zero plans, if you're testing the market, we'll put out this concept and see if people like it. Well, everyone they do, people go, well, yeah, build that. Mm-hmm. But if you're like, we're never going to do anything like that. But yeah, you know what, design department, let's pick a concept out. Why do that at all? Okay, Tom, let's talk about Mazda, and that mm, is because I like too. Mazda has one little sports car. The Mazda Speed brand went away for unknown reasons. They could have kept it going and, and applied the Mazda Speed thinking and it's suddenly like a Nismo, like a GR, and, and made it more towards that. I think Mazda is ripe and in a very mm. good position for the company to be able to do this. Because what is Mazda known for? When you think of Mazda, you don't think Jeep Wrangler, you don't think, oh, okay, hardcore sure, off-roading sure. or mm, Raptor or big trucks or... No, I mean, they've got the new CX-90, but that's still a toe in the water of big SUVs. You know, we've mm-hmm. never really done this, something this big before. We're trying yeah, to compete, yeah, yeah. and it's good. It's not as good as some of them. It's it's decent. A test drive on that is coming, and then they make the Miata. Mm-hmm. But they don't have anything in the mid-range that really ties into what their ethos is as a company. Yeah, I hear they've that. They've got some SUV choices, and they've got uh, some small sedans. Mm-hmm. That's about it. If you're looking for anything more specialty, which is what Mazda is good at doing and also has a track record of doing, you have to go elsewhere. I'm looking for a fun inline six front wheel or rear wheel drive, fun sports car, Toyota GR Supra. Done. Mm -hmm. Well, Mazda's got this new inline six. Thank you. Thank you. The CX-90 is one of the first iterations that we've seen and driven that that with, yeah, yeah, even yeah. though we did not drive the CX-90. It was a hybrid. It was the four-cylinder instead, but still, that is offered in the CX-90. Yeah. So what else could Mazda do? I mean, I think the Mazda Speed name could be brought back with a big splash because I know Mazda executives are looking at Hyundai going, dang it, N was such a good idea. Shoot, Toyota GR Gazoo Racing was such a good idea. Mm-hmm. Hmm, Nismo is still kind of stuck in the water they're dead in the water mm-hmm. i feel like they could nismo everything let's start nismoing everything and become that performance mm-hmm. company mm-hmm. again that nissan has that heritage let's nismo all the things i keep joking about <laughs> gr yeah. you know gazoo racing all the yeah. things let's nismo all of that stuff but mazda hello let's bring back the mazda speed name mm-hmm. that is unique to you guys and you're known for very small lightweight sports cars but that is a niche even though yes miata's appeal to a lot of enthusiasts it doesn't appeal to most buyers. They're Agreed. looking for five-seat SUVs. Yep, for That's sure. the bread and for butter. Sure. And Mazda, you've already kind of figured that out. And with the new CX-90 introduction, you've also got something to offer at the high end. You're not going to build something bigger than the CX-90 to compete against Suburban's Mazda. True, that's true. You're not. That's where they stop. So now their portfolio is kind of fleshed out. It's pretty complete at this point. But there's some GT cars missing. There's some fun GR86 type of cars and GR Super types of cars that are missing to bring excitement back to that Mazda brand. Interesting that you went there because I went there too for similar reasons. And I want to talk about that straight six for a second. That's a straight six that they're offering in different turbo forms that 
cranks out quite a bit of power. Now let me power. let me step to the and side. It's their own straight six yes, brand new Toyota their engine decided they did not want to spend the money, time, R and D to make their own straight six. Toyota right. is one of the largest car companies on the globe. Okay, and they <laughs> decided it's VW, GM, or Toyota. Who is they it? They didn't want to. They didn't yeah. want to spend the money and time to do a straight six. Of all the companies that would go out to do a brand new straight six, Mazda wasn't even on the like the whiteboard. Yeah, and Mazda throws down with a brand new straight six offered in various power configurations and able to do rear wheel drive. And they drop it in the CX-90, which makes sense, but that engine, no part of me thinks that's the only place that engine can go or is intended to go. So that engine is sitting there. Also, meanwhile, we have heard rumors, possible confirmations about the next MX-5 Miata is going to be at least hybridized, which means new powertrain there designed to handle rear-wheel drive. So here's my question. Those two powertrains from Mazda are ripe to be in other things that are rear-wheel drive and interesting, or all-wheel drive and interesting. I agree with you. Mazda is on the cusp here. I also have one other one. Okay. Honda. Okay. I think Honda is primed. And, and we've talked about this. We've done this show for about 16 years now, and we've been obsessive with cars for more than 20, where we walked around auto shows and beat things to death. So the thing <laughs> exactly. I think is interesting is in that couple of decades, we have watched cars cycle in and out. I mean, you've already brought it up here, Tom. The the, the ebb and flow has happened to Ford. Mm-hmm. The ebb and flow has happened to Toyota, all right? Cars that are changing what we think their identity is, give them 10, 20 years, and they change their identity again. BMW was in the prime in the early 2000s, and now we're all going, what's going on at BMW? So a deck every decade <laughs> We're or so, still wondering every decade or so, cars kind of they change their personality a little bit. Mm-hmm. The brands do, and sometimes the tradition carries over, and we don't notice for a while. But we are watching these changes happen. And Honda, I feel like their last gen of most of their current vehicles, we thought they were fine. F- fine. There was one I didn't think was there, fine. There was one you really didn't like. But in a lot of cases, we were like, this is. It's good, but there wasn't any Honda magic about it that we felt in almost everything they made in the 90s. And I feel like their current gen vehicles are starting to find that again, not across the board, but they're starting to find that again. We're getting more like, you know what? This is just, it's engaging and fun and interesting. And it may not be the most powerful, the best in the market, but we're just, we're liking being in it, Honda. We're Mm -hmm, starting to see that mm -hmm. now. So that feels like where Honda needs to be to launch back into making really fun cars. Meanwhile, they have dropped the Civic Type R, which is world class. And the Civic, we've driven in every current form, and we think it is amazing. But the Civic Type R, the current one, is a throwdown car. This is everything a front-wheel drive can be, surpassing cars of other drivetrain plans. Yes. But Honda, where's your Miata competitor? Where's the S2000 revamp? You know, you came out with an NSX, which took too long to gestate and ended up being kind of an also ran. But where's where's the car below the NSX? Where's Mm -hmm. something else that is just fun? If you will, Honda does an, an updated Fiesta ST, that kind of thinking. Where's your hot Honda Fit or Honda Jazz concept? I think Honda is in an interesting place because their stuff, this current gen seems to feel really fun Honda again. I would like to see them branch out with something because I don't feel like it's a big leap from their current lineup thinking. Volkswagen saw Honda introduce the fifth generation CRV and said, hold my beer. Here's the Taos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back to Miata. We've talked about Miatas for so long and for so many different mm-hmm. reasons, Tom. Is it time to suggest that Miata becomes its own brand? Ooh. 
Because what do we do with Miata in the future? Will mm-hmm. they'll just be subsequent, add the next letter in the alphabet after N mm-hmm. to the next yep. generation. The NG. Here we go. The NJ. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so do they? are they all simply the same small recipe with new styling, a little bit more power? What do you keep doing to a Miata? It's a little bit stuck like the 911 is. Yeah. It's a little bit stuck like Corvette is. And we've talked about making Corvette its own brand. You're right. Bringing you're right. back mm-hmm. the Solstice GS, GXP. As the 86 competitor and then bring back mm-hmm. the C7 below the current C8 mid-engine. Then you've got all the options. Could Miata be broken up into two or maybe three cars mm-hmm. as its own brand? Because that's known for motorsports and racing and fun cars and series racing. Mm. And that is off to the side now, which gives Mazda a new way to build different sizes of the MX-5. We've got the original Miata, Mm -hmm. then a new inline six that is the GT car, Mm -hmm. and that's at the high end. And then maybe right in between is a hybridized four-cylinder to keep things light, to keep the proportions different. That's maybe two cars is about right, you know, a a low and a high. Mm -hmm. Let's just make a GT car that's, even for Mazda, will still be tiny. It'll be the size of a GR86. Probably, yeah. (laughs) And the Miata, something like that. And that is the MX-5 brand over here. There are no longer any MX cars in their portfolio. MX5, MX7, MX9. They're exactly right. They're <laughs> all CX. Everything is CX. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Or I guess just Mazda 3 or yeah. Mazda yeah. 6 or whatever yeah, yeah. that is. But the MX is now its own brand that gives okay. them flexibility okay. to continue building small, fun, lightweight sports cars, but now in a range. Mm. Because we can offer you different sizes. We can offer you different engines and certainly different styling. And those are our fun sports cars. Then we've got the hatches and the small mm-hmm, sedans. Mm-hmm. And then are going to the range of SUVs up to the big CX-90. Yes, for sure. Yeah. What would that do for Mazda's perception in this marketplace mm. to, in our minds? Because when we think of enthusiast cars from Mazda, there's one. Mm-hmm. You're right. Absolutely. We do like the Mazda 3 Turbo, but it's not a manual. Yeah. There's just one. So what about expanding that portfolio? And mm. that would give Mazda more options over here to kind of start doing the BMW thing. Sure, sure. And slicing up the market and really doing mm-hmm. many vehicles for niche is the wrong word, but I, I don't know a, a better terminology to use because they are the similar to BMW, the kings of let's target that market with something that is the best for that market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really good at doing that. But and typically not, they have fun to drive stuff in every market. In every market, but they're not big enough. Even Honda has had to approach GM for the Ultium battery platform yeah, for their yeah, next yeah. pilot mm-hmm. to be able to do something, you know, EV in the future. Mazda doesn't have that capability, so they've got a collaboration maybe in their future. Mm-hmm. But even if they don't, they can still broaden their own current portfolio, hybridize things. Just go slow. Let's just hybridize things at mm-hmm. first, and mm-hmm. you know, get a, a really well refined portfolio and, and new chassis and platforms that can spawn these, you know, little bit larger cars. They've they've done the small car thing. They are the best. They're the kings. Yeah, I, and this is why I wonder about what what is the next gen MX-5, which is supposed to be electrified in some form. But if your Mazda, as as they proved with the ND, the current gen Miata that is actually lighter than the third gen. Yeah. So yeah. that that is them realizing this car can't be bigger and heavier. In spite yes. of that happening across the rest of the market, yes. Mazda knows this. They have proven by what they've done with the development of that car that they know it can't be bigger and heavier. Well, 
if you're going to make it all electric, it is going to be bigger and heavier full stop. So that suggests that the next Miata will be hybrid, Mm -hmm. not full electric. How much can they keep the weight down and what is that powertrain? I'm fascinated to see because that could go other places. Whatever car you're looking for and wherever it's listed, you'll find it with Autotempest.com. Autotempest.com brings together results from all the top used car listings anywhere online to save you time and help you find the perfect car. It even lets you compare with nationwide results from Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, and far beyond your local area. Plus, you can now get email alerts for your search, so you're sure not to miss anything. You can even price and find new cars from nearby dealers. That's why Autotempest is now the official sponsor of all our test drive videos. We use it to search for new cars or used cars wherever they are. So when you're doing your drive homework or you're chasing your next family car or you're just browsing so you can see what's out there, go to autotempest.com slash everyday so they know we sent you. Autotempest. All the cars, one search. Guys, I want to mention we are about to head out for our Colorado meetup, something we've never done. We've never done two U.S. meetups in the same calendar year. We had our Utah meetup, greatest driving roads of Utah, earlier this year. We're going to try to continue that every year. We're going to try to do an additional U.S. meetup every year that is a little bit more spouse-friendly, a little bit higher end. Because the thing is, most of these meetups, let's be honest, it's a bunch of people that all we want to do is drive. There's no alternative itinerary. There, we might, we're going to stay in somewhere just above a tent. We're going to go. It's going to be good. <laughs> Bring your car. It's going to be fun. We're going to have meals. But it's not high end. It's about the driving. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. that's the Utah meetup. This Colorado meetup is higher end. We're very excited about that. It is a first for us. We'll see how that goes. I'm expecting it to be awesome. Mandy's done a great job planning the trip, mm-hmm, yes. but we're going. We're about to go and enjoy that. It's going to be awesome, but we're still already talking about what is trip to next year because we're planning on Utah. We're planning on pilgrimage. What is trip to? We are talking about it. I'm just teasing it we, now. We've got this idea going. We have a good idea going, so yeah. we'll see if we can put that together. I, I am very excited about some of the roads we can take you to, some of the stuff we can do. It all relates to this road trip stuff Paul and I keep doing, and I... I this is going to sound ridiculous, but the number of times that Paul and I are on some of these great roads going, how do we get other people here? And sometimes we're so much in the middle of nowhere, it's just like, yes, yeah, stop, stop, stop. But, true, but this true. is what we like. <laughs> Nobody's going to really like these hotels that we'll deal with and put up with. These road trips have just become a scouting mission for future meetups. It feels like it, yeah, but that's the best thing ever. For our car debate, Patrick in Connecticut writes to us asking for a winter vehicle that his sons will think is cool. Hmm. He is a 44-year-old listener, married with two young boys, ages 10 and 9. He lives in a shore town in Connecticut and currently works remotely for an automotive supplier in Michigan. His daily commute is to his local office, is about a mile, but Mm. multiple times a month he drives to the airport, about an hour and a half, for work travel and then returns late in the evening. Patrick's post-COVID goal is to cycle through various enthusiast vehicles, which was a supplement to his 05 Mustang. So the Mustang exists and is staying. This is an extra. Uh, Yes. Okay. His goal is to change this vehicle out every two years. Began with a Volkswagen GTI in 2021. In April of this this year, he writes to us, he upgraded to a 2022 Mustang Mach 1. Hmm. He's working towards a 911, a 991.2 or newer. That's a noble, admirable goal. <laughs> Nobody's surprised you said that. Yes. <laughs> he says this is still several years off. This rotational discussion and weekend drives with his sons have become a fun activity for them. Hmm. While he agrees winter tires are important, yes, they are crucial. He lives in a coastal town with a lot of hills and salt, so he's not planning to drive the Mustang in the winter. So he's looking for something to have for the winter months and is a third car. Yep. This will not be a long-term vehicle, 
And he thinks it's about a year that he'd, he'd have it. Then he'd rotate into something else. Okay. But his budget is $20,000. He can hmm. go as high as twenty five, And he asks for something not rear-wheel drive. Well, he's got the Mustang. All-wheel mm-hmm. drive, four-wheel drive, front-wheel drive is all fine. Preferably automatic or DCT because he's got a bad knee. But he's wide open. He, he admits he is truly wide open other than he wants to be something interesting and that his sons look at it and think dad bought another cool car. Other than functioning, there are minimal requirements. It just has to <laughs> start and run. It runs, yes. Mm-hmm. That's a low bar, Patrick. Yeah, it really is. Probably something used, yes, definitely. Given his intention to rotate the vehicle, he's willing to go older, but that car must start and drive an hour plus when he lands at an airport mm. at 1230 in the morning. Yep, I hear that. Patrick is lost. He's considered everything from a Wrangler to an early Panamera. Neither of those are your choices, Patrick, but we'll continue. <laughs> he says, no WRXs. The Subaru Plague in Connecticut might rival Utah. Probably, yeah, okay. No EVs, as he will be forced to get one for work in a few years. And unfortunately, he couldn't get comfortable in the seats in the Alpha Julia. Hmm. He looks forward to th- hearing our thoughts. And he also adds his current fleet to us, he says. The 2022 Ford Mustang Mach 1, he loves the car. He, he actually writes us a little soliloquy. Yes, he does. He's quite excited about it, yes. Goes mm-hmm. back to his father's 1970 British Racing Green Mach 1. He said he said never saw this car in person, but his father's stories made him want one, mm-hmm. absolutely. So he got it new in April 2022 and got it for 6K under sticker. Wow. Good for you. Well done. 2021 Grand Cherokee L with the V8. It's the Summit trim. Wife's car. He says great car for family trips. He loves that he can drive it on the beach in the Outer Banks and then comfortably drive it for 10 hours at 80 miles an hour. It will do all of those things, yes. And then that 05 Ford Mustang GT, which he got in 07 as a post-divorce prize for him, a gift to himself. It was his only car while living in New York City, and they drove it to their vacation home on the weekend and other trips. He said this has always been the mainstay of his fleet, and it's always been the car to depend on. And you've got pictures of your sons as toddlers in it. Yep, yep, yep. He actually says that his, I'm not surprised by this, his 2022 uh, Mach 1 has kind of ruined this car for him. But he, his thinking is maybe he could give it to his dad so it stays in the family, but it's not in his fleet. Maybe. I I actually really like that idea. That's very interesting because I did wonder about you having both the 2022 Mach 1, which is an excellent Mustang, and the 05 GT. I did wonder if that was going to be your takeaway that, As cool as that GT was, it has been outclassed a smidge with something else with the Mustang badge on it. Mm. His car history includes the aforementioned cars, but he said they had a Ford Expedition from 2018, 2017 Dodge Durango. Oh, you've had lots of Jeep Cherokees, Grand Cherokees, Acura RSX from 05. Mm. Oh, you had a Saab? Saab 9.3, yeah. He says the turbo was the only memorable part. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Okay. Right. Corollas, Dodge Intrepid, Nissan Stanza. I haven't said that word. That's a combo I had forgotten. Since 1991. Probably, yeah. And an 88 Dodge Daytona Shelby Z, which was his first performance car. Hmm. He got in a lot of trouble with that car. (laughs) Remember those? I, I do. I totally remember those. Last on the list is the 1981 Dodge Reliant Wagon that 17 year old Patrick managed to jump. Wow. Okay. Well, good for you, Patrick. All right. It's it's good to have goals. Well done. Excellent. <laughs> all right. Well, Patrick, I went digging. I have one car and one car only for Do you. you. Really? Okay. Things changed because you said this is going to be uh, about a year. You'll have it for about a year, not a long-term vehicle. 
And I thought, are we, has the car market changed yet? Are we back mm. to anything that resembles reality? And indeed we have okay. good news, everyone. Mercedes-Benz GLA class, GLA 45 AMGs mm. are now twenty to $25,000. I think you may have won. That's well done. I, I mean, I'm all throughout some options, but that I think may get it done. Bravo. I didn't realize that was there. I didn't either. Wow. Okay. I'm looking on autotempest.com, a 2015 Mercedes-Benz GLA 45 AMG for $20,995 in Stowe, Massachusetts. It's got 72,000 miles and it looks great. Huh. All of these have 89,000 miles, 75,000 miles, okay. 78,000 right. yeah, yeah. miles. They're, oh, here's an 18 for 24. Oh, uh, no, that's an eBay result. Uh, still, there's a lot of them on here mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for over 50,000 miles, but not 100 yet. Maybe over 70, but not quite 100 yet. Okay, yeah. There's still a lot of life in these. They're a lot of fun. They're all-wheel drive. They're DCT. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They don't have the cool infotainment that we like in current Mercedes, but... You're also paying twenty to twenty-five thousand yeah, dollars for a, an incredible engine. It's fun to drive, mm. and it's like the gentleman's GTI. That's uh, I, look. I'll throw out a couple other options, but I actually think you may have succeeded in winning. <laughs> That's really really good. Yeah, one in Tacoma for twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-four grand, Patrick. Mm. Twenty-fifteen with seventy-five thousand miles, black. Yeah, seven-speed DCT, two-liter inline four. This thing has crazy horsepower. They're still cool looking. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, Patrick, if your sons will be like, you bought a Mercedes little SUV. And like, no, no. <laughs> come here, son. <laughs> we will fight like lions. Boys, come here. Jump in. This <laughs> yes. is going to be different. This yep. has power. They will be pinned in their seats. And then all-wheel drive. It's, it's like a little hatchback. And I, very I, good. I just I, thought, I wonder if these prices are still inflated on these, and it seems like they've dropped back to normal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's well done. Patrick, I did not go there, but I did go a similar direction, and that is I think what you need here is a commuting hatchback because this is your mm. commute car. Mm. It's your all-weather, don't-care commute car, all right? And you don't want rear-wheel drive. You want front-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. Okay, let's still put some winter tires on it. And, yeah, that front-wheel drive is just going to, especially if you get something little, it's just going to kind of haul you out of the snow and off you go. I have two for you. Both of them say fun dad car to me and are commute cars. Oh, okay. Veloster N. That's cool. That's cool. First, not, not the current one. Go back a gen. Get a Veloster N. They still came in DCT. Yeah. So you can get a Veloster N yeah. for you. That would be an awesome fun dad car. It's got three doors. You have two boys. It has three doors. Ooh, why does dad's <laughs> car have three doors? That's weird. Did you do math? I, I Almost. Yeah. So Veloster N is one of them. And then the other one I feel like is very obvious here is the Mini Cooper. Yeah. Get yeah, a Mini Cooper sure. of any vintage. Get a Mini Cooper of any setup. I, that is, I, look, I had one as a winter car for a while. I will say this. The first gen Mini Coopers, I believe it's called the R53. That's the one I had when they first came out in like 03, 04, okay? Those had the supercharger and were surprisingly reliable. There's no issue, but surprisingly reliable. The second gen was the first ones that had turbos, and those were money pits. So jump that. <laughs> but after that, here's the thing. We've driven recent minis. They're still just crazy fun. So I'm thinking yeah. a Mini Cooper yeah. commute car. Get that in auto. Sure, it's more fun in automatic, but get it in auto. That's what you need for a bad knee. I totally understand. So Mini Cooper commute car. The kids are going to be like, this is a fun little car. Yeah. And the Veloster sure. in fun little car. Though I do think my dear friend Paul, 
may have won this conversation <laughs> with the GLA AMG because that is a really, really good one. Well, I I had remembered them because we mm-hmm. used to recommend these like crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we always said get into one, and they were 40-ish. They had come down into the 40s and you know maybe high 30s. Yeah. And we haven't talked about these forever, but I feel like they've been ignored. Mm-hmm. And here's all these people wanting to get out of theirs, and they're... I haven't found one with over 100,000 miles. Hmm. I haven't found one with over 90,000 miles. You maintain it. It's still going to be a great driver, and yeah, you're only yeah. having it for a year. You might That's have a good it for point. two if That's you really like point, it. Yeah. Get one of these. Just drive it. I think people mm-hmm. just commuted around in these, and they probably traded it in just because they wanted to lease a new Mercedes or get into something probably. different. Yeah, they probably. just probably wanted a different mm-hmm. in- infotainment. There's nothing wrong with any of these. High performance. It's a mm. true AMG, and I like that these are not the the bulkier, heavier. These these have the yeah the the lighter styling, the lighter look to my eye than the new generation of GLAs. So go get yourself one of those, Patrick. Thank you for writing. If you've got an, a debate like Patrick's, write to us everydaydrivertv at gmail Topic Tuesdays are great. We love those. We need an endless supply of. You know, the, uh, the the ongoing conversation that never yeah, ends. Yeah, it's great. We love that stuff. And, uh, of course, your car conclusions. We'll get to more of those and your car debates. We always recommend that one of the first upgrades you should do to your vehicle is brakes. An upgraded braking system can transform a vehicle's performance and give you better peace of mind behind the wheel in any situation. From the track to the trail, even your morning commute, every vehicle deserves performance brakes at an affordable price. No matter your vehicle and driving style, PowerStop has complete brake upgrade kits for you. Just go to PowerStop.com and you fill in your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder. You'll get matched with complete kits with components that are low dust, which we've seen, noise-free, which is amazing, and feature upgraded stopping power. We've seen great results firsthand on our cars, and we encourage you to improve your car with better brakes from PowerStop. Brake upgrades made easy. As always, guys, you're, you're showing up with fun questions. Thank you for writing them in, as always. I'm going to start here on Instagram. Sutter89 says, Why do some car dealers not allow test drives on hotter cars, mainly sports cars? How common is it for someone to buy a new car or a low-mileage, essentially new car, uh, used car, without ever going on a test drive? Now, I, I don't know what the current stats are. I haven't looked them up. But I remember reading at one point that 40% of new car buyers weren't doing a test drive. And I remember thinking... Just recently? It was 40 if it was four percent, I would believe forty. Yeah, it was. It was. It was nearly half. Is it because COVID? Being, because no, you just no, no, needed no. a this, car. This was. This was. I remember the last time I read this, it was pre-COVID, and I was like, "You've got to be kidding!" Really? So, but this is this is the flip side of people not wanting to go to the dealer and being able to buy a car online and not having to go to the dealership other than to pick it up. This is the flip side of that, that some people are so annoyed by the car purchasing experience. They read all the reviews, they watch all the videos, they decide this is my car. They pay for it. They never go to the dealer. They go back and forth with the deal. They do the paperwork. And all they go to the dealer for is to pick it up and drive it home. And I don't understand that thinking, but it exists. This is how much some people want to avoid the dealership experience. So this is a reality. And I cannot believe that happens. But to put it back to your question, the thing is dealers are worried about their hot sports cars getting joy-driven by people Mm -hmm. that are just gonna show up and drive them for fun. And then you have the secondary question of, if you're not gonna get very many of car X and a consumer comes in that doesn't know how to drive it and they wreck it on the test drive, because Mm -hmm. of course on a test drive, how are you gonna drive it? Like you stole it. 
Okay. Yeah. So what yeah. if they wreck it on the test drive? Now they have an insurance claim and a difficulty of trying to get the car back. It's not on that other person. If the somebody is test driving the car and they wreck it, to my understanding, that person walks away. I don't think you're on on the hook for I insurance. Think dealer or insurance would. So the dealer in. is taking a risk now. Now I have heard this. This can be abused because if you're really a person really shopping and you need to do a test drive, I've heard of dealers doing deposits and all kinds of crazy stuff. And Jeez. I I I'd want people that if you're an enthusiast, you have to drive the car first. I don't want anybody to buy a car without having said they've driven it. Now, the problem is a really good test drive is not the one the dealer wants you to do, which is, a, oh, we're going to go two blocks that way and we're going to turn right. And we, If you're lucky, you might turn left. You're probably just going to do a bunch of rights yeah. around like yeah. four blocks. You know, you don't even know that the steering rack goes left. You know, but so what you really want is you want an hour or so to take it to some road you know about where you have kind of embedded in your brain how that road feels and now how's this car feel on that road. That's what you want. That's hard to get. Mm-hmm. But I understand the dealer is at risk for a hot car to go out on a test drive. But if you are a person with money, I, they, I, I feel like we need to create some sort of I'm serious metric at the dealer so that they can yeah. put you in the car. I guess it just means throwing down money. And yes, Turo something. And maybe that 40% of customers, maybe they turroed everything and they had already driven it. And so maybe. they already knew that maybe. they liked it and they just yeah. wanted to come in and buy it. I mean, sure, you can find forums, you can find friends, friends, family, fools. We always say that. Yep. And yeah, find something on Turo so you've you've had time in, in the car. Uh, always resist the urge to jump the car during your test drive. Yes, avoid Maybe that, yes. just lay down on the couch until the urge goes away to... To jump it, Patrick, I recommend not doing that on whatever your, your test drive is. Balazbun on Instagram asks if we've noticed that cars, sedans and coupes, have door openings that are smaller than they were 15 or 20 years ago. He would love to go back to owning a car versus the CX-5, but his back says it needs an SUV. I think rear door openings are a bit deceiving mm-hmm. because... It lengthens the overall visual appeal of the car when you have a door shut line in the rear that extends further back. But then you open the door and you're confronted with a, a much smaller hole. Remember the Fisker Karma? That was the worst. It had a huge looking back door. And half of it was taken up by this gradient of body panel that rolled into the car. It's yeah. like, I, I, I may not be able to get in this car. It's mostly the fender over the rear yeah, wheels. Yeah, you're right, yeah. Yeah, I can just jump straight in. You know, uh, I haven't... <laughs> like a running start. <laughs> I haven't noticed that, you know, that on all cars because we come back to the new Civic. That mm-hmm. one has a door opening and then you think, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, and, yeah. and truly, the back seats are huge on that. I've noticed it on a few cars. They're they're trying to squeeze, I think, more, more usefulness out of the the tooling and the worldwide mm-hmm. sales nature of all these cars they want to sell everywhere but then it's easy to on some of the small cars I'll say the Toyota CHR it's easy to just have a new model and call it four doors when it really mm-hmm. shouldn't have four doors and even though it's much smaller it still gets the sale rather than not having that to offer the customer mm-hmm. because all right the, the doors are tiny but still, technically, we've got four doors, and yeah. if people want something small, then they they realize I'm getting a smaller car, and they're they're willing to do that kind of thing. That's why the new Fiesta ST that we never got in North America went away from four doors because it was just like, okay, just admit this is not for four people at all times. Just put 
put two doors on it, call it a day. It's a yep. fun little I hatch. agree. There, should, there shouldn't be a stigma on, on two-door cars, but yet there is a huge segment of the population won't even consider it if it has two doors, and that's mm-hmm. a, a bit of a tragedy. So we put unusable doors on the back. That's exciting. Uh, here's a question. Uh, Seth, you've asked on Facebook, you said, we talk a lot about buying manual transmission cars so company otherwise companies will stop making them, as we've seen with Mini and Volkswagen's recent announcements. So he said, wait a minute. Between the two of us, isn't there only one manual transmission car? Seth, no, that's not right. Mm-hmm. Currently, you have your 928, which is manual, and yep. I have my Lotus, which I've had forever, which is manual. Yep. I would take a manual Cayenne, but they only made them for the first gen. Uh, and my wife, you know, it is the family car, so that's not a manual. But I just sold my 300ZX. That was a manual. Mm-hmm. We bought brand new. Notice what we're talking about. We bought brand new our GR86 Toyota in manual on purpose. We bought one with our own money. Yep. We yep. spent MSRP. We got no deals from Toyota other than they were like, "Well, we'll route that one to you." Yeah, we got That's the one only thing that helped a little sooner. That's so it. So we have bought plenty. We have plenty. We just, of course, cars are rotating in and out. Obviously, the C8 is something we wanted to cover right now. It doesn't come in a manual, so things will keep rotating in and out. But we each own one right now. It's time to talk about Ferrari. Oh, okay. Big thanks to Nick Grio and the entire team at Grio's Garage and Grio's Motors for letting me do a test drive of the Mondial. I finally got it on camera. <laughs> I think it it's was great. Glorious. When you told me this might happen, I was like, please do that. I just visited them recently and it was just glorious. They got it out and it's just running great. The air conditioner worked and it was cold. Two plus two, 300 horsepower. Such an interesting car because you know Mondial is to be a transverse V8, but on this one, the T, the transaxle, or I guess the transmission, is still in a transverse layout, but then they turn the V8 back to longitudinal, making Mm. the letter T. And that was the one they could mount lower in the car. It had the most horsepower. It is the one that you want and Austin K on Facebook asks, how affordable is the maintenance on the Mondial compared to other Ferraris? <laughs> compared to other Ferraris, it's probably not bad. It's not bad. It's compared one of the cheaper things. ones to work on. <laughs> Interestingly, Austin, up until the T, the Mondial engine did not have to be dropped out of the car to change the timing belt or the clutch. Mm. Now, with the T, that changed. Mm, of course it did. However, in comparison to other Ferraris, Yes, it's it's definitely one of the uh, the cheaper ones, and that's part of the appeal for me because mm-hmm, you get that mm-hmm. that Ferrari kind of feel in that uh, in that car. It's a two plus two. Mike L says the Mondial is gorgeous, can be had with gated manual. Yes, it's one of the very few undervalued Ferraris still, but the T's are still in the forty to sixty thousand dollar range, and I prefer the hard top as well. But yes, we should try to keep it that way. It just it felt like an early iteration of what we love about modern sports cars. And that's so fascinating about that. What I'm so intrigued by, we've talked about this before, but I need to hit it again because you're right here talking about the Mondial is, you know, two, two brands we've talked about where I feel like they lost their magic when they did a, a technology shift. BMW leaving hydraulic steering and Ferrari leaving the gated manual. Mm, there was yeah. something special about a Ferrari with a gated manual. And here's the thing. It's not always a really fast way to shift. The gated manual sometimes could be a bit awkward. But there was something about the feel of a gated manual from Ferrari that that was just a little bit of the magic. And I understand, you know, the economics of why they left it. But I think they left a key thing that made them special. Let's see. Jeremy H. on Facebook asks about our road trip film with the C8 and the Elise. Were we wishing the C8 was more this or less that in comparing it to the Lotus. Mm. They're very different cars, yes, and that was the whole point. They're very different, but they're really similar. 
that they have the concepts identical and then done wildly different. Yeah. Yeah. And, and years later, mm-hmm. which is so crazy to me. I mean, the, the top itself, the top comes off in one hard piece. The C8 does not have a soft top like the Lotus. True. I suppose it could. But they're both Targa style. But You're right. They're both Targa point. style, yeah. both mid engine. Mm-hmm. They both, well, yours doesn't have a frunk. No, it that's not. okay. It's lucky to have people in it. But yeah, there's like, one thing at a time. Yeah. This is where the owner's manual goes in the frunk. <laughs> Click. <laughs> this is your wallet compartment <laughs> yeah. up front. Well, Jeremy asks about our uh, our comparisons to the cars and wonder if if we wanted something more or less in comparison to the Lotus, how our overall scores would have played out. I mean, yes, it is. Uh, it is a comparison of the cars, but it's very much about these two similar in thinking, but yet different kinds of cars doing the same thing years yes, later. And, yes. and, you know, we know the Corvette's going to be heavier, but, you know, Jeremy says comments about the height and quietness and the overall size. It really depends on the road. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, why I kept yeah. talking about, oh, shoot, the Elise is winning because at points in the road, nothing else matters. Sure. Just a steering sure. wheel and the road and the Elise just takes over. But for long stretches of boring highway through the middle of the Midwest, (laughs) I want to be in the C8. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah. uh Two words, Jeremy. Cooled seats. Yeah, that's up there. Last question for me over on Twitter. X, sorry. Starscream S13 says, what two car companies should collaborate together to bring back a dead car brand? When I was in tech, I always got the question, can the software do this? Hmm. And I always asked, do you need it to? <laughs> That's my first follow-up question. Instead of just saying, oh, well, no, it can't. Wait a minute, wait. What do you need it to do? And does the software need to do what you're asking? Mm, or can we find right, a workaround? Right. So Starscream, do we need to bring back dead car brands? Do, does Oldsmobile need to come back? Excellent question. Okay, fair. First of all, let's decide, okay, Okay. is there a good car, dead car brand that needs to come back? A brand, not a model. And there's not that many. I mean, would would Mercury like to return to the... No, no more Mercury. (laughs) No, old should stay dead. Pontiac, I could go either way on. I could see... GM investigating Pontiac and bringing that back. But there's a lot of baggage with Pontiac. They'd have to do a, a very hard reset and mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. A, a new styling. No more hearkening back to the styling of old. That is in the past, <laughs> firmly. Do you, don't you miss the bubble button cockpit? Oh, Come on gosh. now. Everything's a bubble. I mean, the just, GM bubble <laughs> era. That was the best, wasn't it? Ugh. Just like Hyundai did with Genesis. It was. Let's stop making cars. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out what we're going to do. Don't listen to anybody else. Here's what we're doing, everyone. And look, it's amazing. It's really cool. But I keep coming back to Toyota and Porsche to bring us an MR2. They have teased that. We've heard rumors. They remain rumors as far as we know. We don't have any inside information. Mm -hmm. But those two companies, because maybe Porsche can't do us a 550 Spider or something cheap and entry level, but maybe they'd let it be a Toyota badge with Porsche goodness in a flat six and a something underneath and it's just a it's it's a in a lease a modern elise can you imagine those two companies collaborating i i'm fascinated by the sheer thought of it i i can't imagine that volkswagen would want to partner at all with toyota because obviously volkswagen being the super parent company there yeah but we keep asking for it you know we keep hoping that they will they will bring it back as some sort of mr2 i mean we've heard mr2 rumors they keep surfacing and then dying and surfacing and dying and i would love for toyota especially as we were talking at the top of the podcast with where they are right now as a brand for them to re-release an mr2 would be amazing but will they 
I don't know. The, the collaborations throughout history. There was the Bizzarini, which was Italian styling with American power. That was Pantera too. Yeah. The, yeah, the yeah. Tommaso brand. Yeah. So many people wanted to do that. You know, idea, let's, yeah. let's get reliable American power yeah. under there yeah, and yeah. make it something sexy and cool. Yeah. Could Ferrari license some Ferrari goodness to Toyota to take it up and run? Can I mean, you imagine if they did that? Toyota is willing to partner with pretty much just about every. Toyota is willing to at least listen. Yes. They will listen and they are, entertain the idea. Toyota is currently dating. They are dating. <laughs> yes. yes, they are. Uh huh. <laughs> Thank you for all your questions. We really appreciate it. Write to us your topic Tuesdays, car conclusions, car debates, and send us a note when you see something and it reminds you of Todd and Paul. And you yeah, we love that. Just think we'd, we'd love to either <laughs> mock something or yeah. you know, something crazy in the in the car world we always love seeing that stuff we're watching the news just like you are and we are about to get very busy throughout the end of 2023 we've mm-hmm. got a lot planned a lot more content coming some huge we've trip stuff coming we've got more road lull. trips we've got some huge comparisons that we've been trying to put together we're trying to get a little bit of extra shooting done right before the weather closes in in park city but of course we travel when we need to so we're very excited about the stuff that's still coming so we've got stuff in the can we haven't even shared yet that's, that's really true. cool that's price true. of fun is coming our, we've got another road trip piece coming. We've already shot, plus one we still have to do. There's so much. Yeah, and we got to get this Prius on track. We got to yeah, get do. this Prius. We have we have different squealing. wheels and tires on the Prius. Yeah. Hopefully, they will squeal with a little bit more effort, because right now, it, I mean, the stock version was like a little bit of wheel, and it was like, what are you doing to me? So we have solved that problem with our friends at Vredestein. So now we get to see what it can really do. Thanks for your questions. Write to us. We're always looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>